Welcome to the 22nd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford, and today my guest is Michael Bracken, prolific short story writer and author. Stay tuned for my interview with Michael Bracken. This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Michael Bracken. Bracken is the author of 11 books, including the mystery novel All White Girls and nearly 1,200 shorter works published in more than 150 publications. He is also the editor of five crime fiction anthologies, including Fedora, Private Eyes, and Tough Guys. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Nice talking to you tonight. Sure, sure. Well, I just mentioned 1,200 shorter works. Is it still 1,200 or is that number higher now? It's it's uh, right around 1,200. About 800 of those are short stories. The rest are articles, essays, poetry, things of that nature. Well, you just mentioned 800 short stories, and and some of those stories I know are in the confession genre. And I, I wondered, can you describe confessions for those listeners who may not be familiar with, with the genre? Confessions are a form of women's fiction that have been around for decades. They are stories that are told in the first person by a female narrator, and they may be romances or they may be um, problem stories. A woman faces a problem. Um, she seeks to solve that problem and ultimately either through her own actions or through uh, the actions of some something she's caused to happen, her problem gets solved. Um, in the old days, they were sin, suffer, and repent. They've grown since then. And, and are, is that still, even in 2010, uh, a, a viable and, and vibrant market? It may be one of the most um, open genres for short story writers. There are five magazines published, still published, that publish confessions. They run approximately eight stories per issue. Um, there are one's a quarterly and the rest are monthly, I believe. So that's a whole lot of fiction being published. Um, the, the market isn't as broad or as big as it was 20 years ago, but it's still still a good market. Interesting. Um, so what other genres do you write in besides confessions? Well, I have had short fiction published in every genre that I'm aware of. I'm probably best known for confessions and for crime fiction, hard-boiled, private eye, um, noir, um, crime fiction. Gotcha. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, for several years running, you average one story or article purchased every week of the year. Is, is that correct? I know there was a benchmark that you keep track of. That is my target, and I have met or exceeded that for several years. I didn't make it last year, but I have an excuse. The year before that, I had quadruple heart surgery, and it took me a while to get back up to speed. Sure. So, so that's 52 acceptances or, or um, acceptances. Um, yes. per year. Per year. That's wow. my target. That's great. 
Um, I, I wonder, did you make a conscious decision to, to write in the short form versus novel? And I, I wonder if you ever get ideas for novels and then end up using that idea for a short story instead. I think, I don't think I set out to be a prolific short story writer. I set out to be a writer. Um, I wanted to write fiction. And when I first started, I initially had success with short fiction. I sold my first short story to a professional market when I was still a teenager. And success, in a sense, breeds success. If I had not sold so many short stories so quickly, I might have thrown in the towel and said, well, let's try a novel. But short stories have done very well for me over the years. I have written five novels, four of them published. One of them is making the rounds now. But again, with short fiction, if I write a short story, I'm fairly confident it's going to sell quickly. If I write a novel, they take, at least in my experience, it's taken years to find a publisher. And, and that, that near instant gratification that I get from short fiction, I don't get from, from working on a novel. Sure, sure. Well, well, you just mentioned that you had your first short story accepted and published when you were a teenager. I, I was curious, when did you first know that you wanted to be a writer? Did you write as a kid? I knew it when I was in the eighth grade. I wrote a short story called The 1812 Battle at Two Rocks. I don't know where the story is, but I still remember the title. I walked downstairs to the kitchen where my mother was and said, I'm going to be a writer. And, of course, this followed uh, firemen and cowboy and astronaut. So there wasn't a lot of credibility put in my, in, in my prognostication, shall we say. <laughs> but my mother did buy me, give me my first typewriter, and then later bought me my, my first, first purchase typewriter. So she did encourage me, and, and, it, and it worked out. And so was that a short story that you were actually writing for a school assignment, or was that something you just sat down and decided to write a story? That was just something I sat down and wrote. I had this idea for a story. I don't know where it came from, and it probably wasn't very good. I was only in the eighth grade, but I had an idea, and I wrote a story, and that was, that's the moment I knew that I wanted to be a writer. Interesting. And so where did you go from there? Did you start researching or reading things like Writer's Market or, or um, Writer's Digest? It was a few years before I found out there were magazines like that. Um, initially, it was uh, through school. I had my first published piece when I was in the ninth grade. Um, that was junior high back then. These days, it'd probably be considered high school. But I had a poem published in my, my junior high school literary magazine. And then I went on to um, write for and then edit my high school newspaper, um, wrote article for a, an underground newspaper uh, that was distributed in the area. And my best friend and I in high school decided we wanted to be uh, science fiction writers. We were going to be the next Isaac Asimov and Robert Heinlein. We both read a lot of science fiction. And... Together, we started figuring out how to get published. We started a science fiction fanzine that, before it got reached its final issue, we published work by Larry Niven and Robert Block and Charles L. Grant and, and Jerry Pornell and a lot of people who weren't then known but are now professional writers in the science fiction, fantasy, and genre 
field. And through my exposure to those writers through the mail, those pre-computers, um, started learning how to write, not for, write, but not necessarily write, but write for publication, how to submit things. And I got guidance from, from these great writers who treated me like, well, not as an equal, but not as, not as a stupid little kid either. Right. And they gave me advice, and they were very, very helpful. And that's, that was a leg up that I wouldn't have had without, without starting that fanzine. Interesting. So when you were a kid, did you just mentioned reading science fiction. Were you a big reader as a kid? I was a tremendously big reader. Um, when I was, I'm 52 now. When I was young, televisions weren't quite that common, and we did not have a television in our house until I was in the third grade. Um, my mother was divorced, which again was uncommon back in the 50s and early 60s, mm-hmm. and we moved frequently. So one of the first things we did when we moved, and she took me to the nearest branch of the library, got me a library card, and she taught me to read. She read to me. She taught me to read. I was reading way above my grade level when I was young, and that that was my escape. That was that was my entertainment. That was that was everything. Was reading, and it, it, and I read these stories, and that's what led me to think, well, these stories can take me anywhere in the world. I want to write stories that take other people places. And I mean, I pretty much owe it to my mother and, and the circumstances at the time. I, I was such a big reader. I, I then wanted to do what I enjoyed. That's great. Um, I, I'm curious, did your friend who, who helped you start the fanzine, is, did he become a writer? What, is he still interested in writing? Alas, no. It's been a couple of years since I spoke to him. He actually sold a short story to a science fiction magazine called Vertex, which was a big, slick magazine, but they ceased publication before they published his story. And as far as I know, never made another effort. So he would have beat me in the print by a couple of years um, if they'd stayed publishing, but uh, he didn't pursue it. He went on in a different direction. Interesting. So who were some of your favorite writers when you were young? <clears throat> when you were well, young? Actually, probably the most influenced, and I can't remember his name, but the guy who wrote the Freddy the Pig novels, those were a big thing when I was really young. And then as I grew older and into my teens, it was the classic science fiction writers, Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein, Frederick Pohl, um, those guys, and then the newer guys, the, the, the Larry Nivens and the Jerry Pornells, um, and guys like that. And then as I got a little bit older into my 20s, I really discovered uh, crime fiction, mystery fiction, private eye fiction, and then Dashiell Hammett and um, uh, those guys, uh, the whole group of guys like that. And that probably had the most influence was the, was the old school uh, mystery writers. Gotcha. That's interesting about Freddy the Pig. James Reasoner has mentioned those books on his blog. Yeah, it was surprised me because I thought nobody else in the world remembered them. <laughs> um, well, I'd like to talk to you about your organization system for a moment. First with, okay. th- first with the amount of short fiction that you write, what systems have you set up over the years to both track potential markets and also track your submissions? Um. Well, my basic process is very old school. Um, 
and then I've adapted the old school versions to the computer. I keep everything I write in a file folder, one file folder per story. And in that file folder goes any research information and other things I might have needed. But that file folder then travels from file drawer to file drawer. Um, if it's out on submission, there's a file drawer for things out on submission. If it's accepted, it goes moves to another drawer. If I get paid for it, then it goes, but it's not yet published, I get that's got its own drawer. If it's published, but I haven't been paid yet, that's got a drawer. And then once it's paid for, published, and everything's up to date, then it goes into a file drawer. And it's, it, the file just moves from place to place. And so I've done a similar thing on the computer with a series of file folders on the computer tracking where uh, electronic things would be. As far as, and that's once the manuscript's complete. Until it's complete, it just stays on the computer. And so I've got a series of file folders on the computer labeled confessions, mysteries, horror, um, et cetera. If I get an idea for a story, then it goes into that file folder on the computer. As far as tracking markets, a lot of the markets I write for are repeat markets. I've been writing for them for years. Um, so looking for new markets, I don't spend as much time doing that as I used to, but I used to spend a lot of time just looking at uh, the magazine racks at, at bookstores or grocery stores, or if I'm in a city like Chicago or New York that has them on the street corners, I'll look at the newsstands, I look at magazines. And what I have found... Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Even in this day of the Internet, there are magazines that publish fiction that don't put their guidelines out there for people to see. And so sometimes I find markets that nobody else realizes publish fiction. And it helps me tremendously because the competition's much lower. <laughs> That's yeah. interesting. Well, I, I'm curious in terms of um, the system that you just described in terms of the your organization system on your computer, because I was going to ask you, I know, again, from reading your blog, that there are times where you will you will complete a short story, but it's a story that you actually started and wrote maybe a sentence or even a couple of paragraphs or a few pages, sometimes a year, two years, or even longer than that. Do you keep all of those partial short stories and ideas on the computer, or do you print those out? I keep all of those on the computer, and I back my computer up, or at least I back those files up uh, regularly. Um, I've probably got two or three hundred partials on my computer waiting to be finished. And sometimes they're not finished because there's no market for the story that I'm aware of. Sometimes they're not finished because I had a great beginning, but I don't know what the end is yet. And what I'll do is when I have a lull, if I don't have anything I'm working on, specifically I don't have an assignment or there's not an anthology call that I'm trying to meet, I'll sit down and I'll start going through those old stories 
And what happens is every once in a while, I may look at, you know, 10, 15, 20 of them, and then the 21st one, bingo, I go, oh, I remember this one. I know how it has to end, and then I write the rest of the story. Sometimes I may only add a paragraph or a sentence. I've got some stories that are growing one paragraph at a time over the years, you know, because I, I read and I go, I know what the next paragraph is, but then I don't know what the paragraph after that's going to be. <laughs> and so it's it's... It's not ADD, but it's, it's kind of close to it because I'm not concentrating on one thing at a time. And that probably goes back to when I was younger and I was married and I had children and a full-time job. I couldn't sit down and write anything straight through. It was five minutes here, ten minutes there. So I would just blurt out, you know, five minutes worth of typing, ten minutes worth of typing. And... I couldn't remember what I'd just written, but I could keep it on the computer and I could go back to it later. Gotcha. That's, that's interesting how, how those come together over such a long span of time. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what advice would you give to someone who may be listening who is an aspiring writer? When you started out, what helped you learn to write short stories? And as you mentioned earlier in the interview, to, to write short stories that for publication. I'm not sure there's any one thing, but the most important thing of all is to read. Read voraciously. Read everything. Um, And don't stop reading. I see that sometimes in writers that that come to me for advice is they're not reading enough. They just, they they don't get it, so to speak. Um, The other thing, uh, one other thing would be if you're going to read a lot, you also have to write a lot. I've reached a point where I can, thanks to the computer and 30-plus years of doing it, where I can write a short story, and often the first thing I print from the computer is publishable. It goes out to an editor. The first or second editor buys it. That's cool. But when I was just starting, I couldn't do that, and I don't think a new writer should expect to be able to do that. Back when I started, and it was on typewriters and longhand, a story would have three, four, five, ten, twenty drafts and trying to get all the pieces together and get everything to work. Um, and over time, just the repetition of anything, if you're a long-distance runner or a guitar player, doesn't matter. It's the repetition. You go, oh, those are the right words for that. That's how that character should act. That's what I need in the scene. That stuff starts coming to you. Um, and you don't think about it, that the process so much, you just, you just try to get the story out that's in your head. Um, I was very lucky early on. Um, I had sold, I don't know, a couple of, a dozen, a couple of dozen stories. And I was at that point still, I still wanted to be a science fiction writer. And I was, but I was struggling. I wasn't doing very well. And I submitted a story to a men's magazine. And the editor sent it back. It was a science fiction story. He had torn it apart completely and retyped it. And said, I really like the story, but the publisher doesn't want any science fiction. And I sat down and I compared my manuscript to what that editor had done to my story. What did he do? Why did he do it? How did he do it? And I studied it. And I sat down and I had a page and a half of a short story on the corner of my desk. It was a 
clearly not science fiction, so I'd set it aside because I wasn't going to write anything but science fiction. Um, but I picked up that story, and it was a mystery, and I wrote it, and he bought it. And I wrote a second mystery, and he bought it. So I wrote a third mystery. He didn't buy it, but Mike Shane's Mystery Magazine bought it. So I was three for three with mysteries, and I hadn't even come close to that with science fiction. So <laughs> the lesson, not if you're lucky to have an editor do for you what one did for me, that's great. But what I learned is don't lock yourself into a specific genre. You may find out you're better at something else than what you thought you really wanted to do. And once I learned that, well, I can write mysteries, I realized, well, look at all these other genres that I might be able to write if I tried. And that's what led me into writing confessions and, and, and other forms of women's fiction. I just had to try it. I no longer had that wall that said, well, I'm only a science fiction writer. Well, now I'm just a writer. I'm a fiction writer. And so if I get an idea, I don't sweat, is this in my genre? I go, well, here's a genre I haven't tried before. Or, you know, here's an idea for a story. Well, I haven't sold a lot in that genre, but I have. I know how to write that genre. So be flexible. Grow. Be willing to try new things. That's interesting. That reminds me of a, a story that I read about Earl Stanley Gardner when he was first trying to break into the pulps and he was writing short story after short story and they were coming back to him as quickly as he could mail them. And an editor, when he when he rejected him, he, he, he included a reading report, a, a two or three page reading report where someone just ripped the story to shreds and just basically said, this is awful and and basically listed all the reasons why it wouldn't work and how it could be improved and he sat down and rewrote it and and that was kind of a turning turning point for him it is if if you're lucky enough to have somebody do that somebody who really knows somebody can buy your works that way they're telling you well i would have bought it if and then you can really see what what you need to do Sure, sure. Uh, I'm curious, you talked about reading and reading voraciously. Do you still read as much now? Oh, yeah. I probably read a, a novel or two a week, um, short story collections, a variety of, of, of uh, like a news magazine and entertainment magazines, because partly just because I read, that's what I do, but partly because having that diversity of reading material is what brings ideas in. I mean, a story idea may be sparked by Entertainment Weekly, and the next story idea might be sparked by organic gardening. You, sure. you just never know where the ideas are. So if you read a lot, you can bring that stuff to, to the keyboard when you're working. Sure. And, and who are some of the, the fiction writers that you're reading these days that you particularly enjoy and look forward to their new book? Well, as a group... I would say Hard Case Crime. I have read almost every book produced by Hard Case Crime. That's the genre. They publish exactly what I wish I could write every time I sat down. Um, but I also really like uh, Carl Hyacin. I'll read anything he writes. I like James Lee Burke. I've read mm -hmm. almost all of his novels. Um, I very much enjoy... Uh, John Steinbeck, which is off the wall compared to the mystery writers. Um, and then, of course, uh, Donald Westlake and, and Lawrence Block are, are good. I very much enjoy their work. Um, but in term, and, and Dick Francis, the, the people I pretty much buy 
if a book comes out, are Dick Francis, Carl Hyacin, and James Lee Burke. Great. I'll read. James Lee Burke is wonderful. Yes. I can only dream of being that good. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, given the, the, the fact that you write short fiction, if you've given much thought as to, in the last two or three years, the, the rise in interest and also people reading ebooks with the with the Amazon Kindle, I know that a lot of fiction markets are dying out in print. Do you think that um, electronic publication will will see kind of a revitalization of short stories? Yes and no. What I'm seeing right now is a lot of opportunities, but not any money. And I'm not sure how that's going to play out over time. Um, I have written for some of the electronic publications, online publications, PDF publications, but right now there's not the kind of income in doing that that there still is from print publications. Um, I think that uh, I have had uh, all of my books, I believe, my publishers have released electronic versions of them. So, I mean, I am drawing some income from that, but I don't really know where it's going to go. I don't know if short stories are really going to be the thing that, that helps drive these um, the Kindles and, and, and uh, Barnes and Noble's Nook and all of those things. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. Well, well, that's that's pretty much all I have um, in terms of, of questions. Did you have anything that we we have not covered that you wanted to mention? And what what's upcoming for you? Anything anything that we can look out for? Well, just today I received a copy of the March True Confessions containing two of my short stories. It should hit the newsstands any day now. Um, one story is called, uh, sure, I can't remember the titles of my own stories. <laughs> yeah, you're right, 800, you can't remember much of anything. Yeah. Um, uh, well, one is Spring Fling and the other is... Um, I have no clue what it is. Anyhow, I have okay. two stories in the March <laughs> Confessions. It just came out. Great, yeah. great. Any other anthologies upcoming? I have not had uh, an opportunity to edit another anthology, although I have proposals floating around. I'm hoping somebody bites one of these days. Because, uh, I'd really like to edit another one. The first five did well for the contributors. Uh, many of them was a... Variety of stories published in my anthologies went on to be nominated for uh, major awards, got shortlisted. So I'd, I'd love to have a chance to do that again. Well, great. Well, thanks for taking the time for to talk to us, Michael. Is is really interesting. Okay. Well, good luck, and uh, thank you for uh, for asking me. This is David Morrell, and when I'm not working on my latest thriller, I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thanks for listening to my latest interview. If you like what you heard, I would really appreciate a review of the podcast in iTunes. It's really simple. All you have to do is go to the iTunes store, and it takes a minute or two to leave a quick review of the podcast, and that way more people can find the podcast, because the more 
reviews and ratings a podcast has in the iTunes store, the more they feature it and the more prominently they feature it. So hope you enjoyed the interview. Until next time, read some good books and support your local independent bookstore. And I'll be back soon with another interview with a writer that you enjoy reading. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.